The Fake Show podcast is brought to you by the law firm of Hutchison and Stefan, the Tone Factory recording studios in Las Vegas, the Craft House Brewery, Moonshot.com, Mr. Antenna, and Banger Brewing in downtown Las Vegas. Toys. Action figures. Highly articulated, posable figures. I'm going to buy that thing. We have to have a name. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You're just like, oh, that's clever, I think. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. And that was the name. That's the dumbest idea I've ever seen. Guns or swords. The word ninja, the definition was hired assassin. How am I building a kid's toy line based on hired assassins? It's The Fake Show with Jim Toffey. Ultimate history and toy nerd Brian Volk Weiss is the creator of a great series on Netflix called The Toys That Made Us, which takes a deep dive into legendary toys, action figures that shaped our childhood. The stories behind each toy and toy line is so interesting that I just had to have Brian on the podcast. Please welcome The Toys That Made Us and now The Movies That Made Us creator Brian Volk. Weiss. Brian, how are you? I'm good. How you doing? Oh, very good. Thank you. And congratulations on season three of The Toys That Made Us and now the movies that made us. I, I love both of them. Thank you very much, man. You're very kind. To me, the writing and editing are just great on that on the shows. I mean, the, the kind of awkward pauses are, are really, really nicely done. Uh, you're, you're very kind. Uh, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> right. And Donald Ian Black's narration. I like it, but you've you've actually had people say it's distracting. But I just I, I really think it's great. I, I think it's great. I mean, I'm very biased. I'm the most biased there is on this topic. You know, I get hundreds, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people to pick from, uh, and I, I'm proud uh, that we selected him. But yes, and and the the pushback is very new to movies that made us. We I, I never ever saw this comment uh even after season three came out yeah movies that made us uh where people seem to have an issue with his vo but listen i respect everybody's opinion uh i don't necessarily agree with it uh but i respect it your series are the most successful docuseries on netflix but how difficult was the process of getting this thing greenlit in the very beginning uh well it was seven years difficult Wow. <laughs> so that, and I've been doing this for 21 years. Uh, I think I was in the 18th year of my career when it sold, maybe 17. So, um, so yeah, so 17 years in show business and seven of them spent trying to sell it. Uh, and that's just the Netflix. I mean, I, I, we came real close uh, to two other companies buying it. Um, and then at the last minute, they didn't move forward. Um and, yeah, I mean, I was very lucky that Netflix got into Unscripted when they did. Uh, my company makes a lot of stand-up comedy, and we had already been in, we had already been in business with Netflix uh, with, with stand-up. So they knew us, uh, and then there was an executive. See, one of the problems that a lot of people don't know about show business is that uh, producers get typecast just like actors. So um, I was always the comedy guy. And the good news was this executive at Netflix had seen my toy collection. So when I started talking about my toy collection, uh, he was like, he knew that I had toys. And um, he knew that I had toys. And it wasn't like, why is this guy calling me uh, about, the, uh, about, the to- about, about toys? 
comedy guy. So that that was a very lucky break uh, that we had. And it, I mean, again, I was pushing at it for seven years. So I mean, if you if you never give up, at some point you're always due a, a lucky break. I think that's yeah. key to not giving up. But that being said, we we had a lot of lucky breaks to get the show greenlit. Um, and by the they they gave us basically a, a blueprint of what kind of show they would want. And uh, we made a five-minute tape, and they loved the tape, and uh, they went straight to series, no pilot. I think it's a huge part of the reason why the show succeeded, um, because I think if it had been piloted, I don't think it would have been... I I have a feeling it wouldn't have been on the air. So I think going straight to eight, letting the public decide, has a lot to do uh, with why it survived uh, its, uh, its origin. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, I have a book called Timeless Toys. I don't know if you've ever yeah, seen it, but uh, it's a great book. And it describes, I, I should have known, yeah, it describes every popular toy from the early 20th century, you know, basically to uh, present. And But nobody discussed the process that it took to start a toy line until you guys and the stories are just so interesting. I mean, Eastman and Laird with their incredible story of teenage mutant ninja turtles who knew all the drama that was going on behind these companies right yeah i mean the thing that's interesting is it's like you know like boeing and airbus compete you know that nike and adidas compete you know there's drama you assume that let alone lehman brothers and bear stearns but because the toy industry's product is so for lack of a better word harmless and bright and colorful you you don't you you think they're exempt from the chaos of capitalism, but as hopefully we demonstrated, uh, they are not. Yeah, and I mean the same thing with Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I didn't realize that there were you know so many sell-offs and takeovers, and that it involved Japanese companies who actually developed that project in the first place. Yeah, no, it's 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 an amazing thing when you realize you know one of the things I tried to do was show how delicate success is and how easy failure is. So if you watch one episode, you might not pick up on that theme, but if you watch two or three, you start to realize the series, as much as it is about toys, is also about risk. It's also about failure. um, And it's also about the business aspect of how do you make a product for eight to 14-year-olds um, and then, you know, make sure when they're older, their kids get into the same thing. And that's, I mean, that's really the way these companies think. I mean, they're thinking five months in advance, five years in advance, and to a certain extent, 25 years in advance to make sure that the people playing with Barbie dolls or Star Wars figures today, they're already making, they're already doing stuff to make sure that kids are still playing with them in 10, 20 years. Things have changed, too, haven't they? Because now I'm a boomer, so growing up, there was a barrage of advertisements on Saturday morning cartoons. So how have things changed in terms of keeping kids interested in these toys? Well, I mean, one word, I guess two words, uh, YouTube. I mean, it's all about YouTube. Uh, yeah. My, I have three kids, all under six, and, uh, I mean, they, you know, they watch, you know, what they call surprise eggs. Uh, I will be honest with you, I am, I am not entirely sure what that even means or why it's called that. <laughs> um, but they're basically like 
when we used to go to Toys R Us's, my kids knew before we even walked in what they wanted to look at. Yeah. So it's, it's in many ways, it's better now. In, in many ways, it's actually better now for the toy companies because they don't have to make these expensive and very risky shows in the volume that they used to. Um, they just have to work with these, you know, popular um, surprise egg channels on YouTube. I heard you say in an interview uh, not too long ago that if Netflix says, okay, you've got uh, one more episode to go, that you would name that episode the toys that never should have been made, which I thought was hysterical. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, the the linchpin to that episode would be the LJN line based on uh, David Lynch's Dune. Uh, Yeah. Part of the reason I'd love it to be the last episode is I think it would be the perfect bookend to the Star Wars episode because Dune, the movie, like the way LJN felt about it was identical to the way Kenner felt about Star Wars. So it it would be very interesting uh, to show. uh, And also, again, another reason why I'd want to end the series with this episode is it would allow you to look at every episode and again, just reinforce that position of how delicate success is and how easy failure is. Because, I mean, we've already shot interviews with some former LJN people and almost verbatim talk about reading the script for Dune the way that um, uh, Jim uh, Sheridan did uh, when he read uh, the Star Wars script. So it, 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 I just think it would be the perfect way to wrap it all up, showing, again, success, don't bet on it. (laughs) Right. You know, and as I let you go, so much research goes into each episode. How long does it take you to do one of those toys episodes? Well, we make, we basically make about four to eight at a time. Um, And and so the the, the pre-production research phase is basically about four months. Wow. Yeah, well, it's The Toys That Made Us, The Movies That Made Us also is great. It's Brian Volk-Weiss. Brian, great talking to you, and good luck uh, in the future with the shows. Great talking to you, and thank you very much. Again, both of Brian Volk-Weiss's shows are on Netflix, and that brings us to the end of this episode of The Fake Show. I'm Jim Tofty. I'll see you back here next time. Take The Fake Show on the road by listening on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. Come